Hey, good day, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. I'm Doug Paget, and uh, today really excited to be talking with John Pavlovitz. It is June 16th, and if you're a regular here on the uh, on the stream, uh, you know what we like to do. We like to have conversations about how faith, hope, and love, and other good things can make our world a better place. So, super excited to have you here. Uh, if you're in the comments, please make a uh, make yourself known. Say hello to, to John. Tell us where you're coming from. What you're up to in the world today? Hey, John. Good to see you. Uh, thanks for being on the thanks for being on the podcast live stream today. How are things in uh, North Carolina? Uh, things are are never dull here in North Carolina. Just like where you are, uh, brother. We're just um, doing the work every day, and um, you know, life is exciting. Yeah, we we like to start with the weather sometimes in our little chats around here because the weather seems to be one of the things that we share in this world, and at least we can say to each other. Hey, we're under the same sky. So we've got a beautiful run of days coming here. Uh, you know, the, the kind of days in Minnesota that you brag about. How, how's it feeling there in North Carolina? Uh, we're, if we were just a little bit less humid, we would be underwater. You know, I think that's about where we are. So it's just hot and humid <laughs> and you just, you deal with it. You know, we start sweating early in the morning and then we just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You sweat till you sweat till night. All right. So, John, tell us tell us what's up. You know, a lot of people follow you and they know your work very well from your written uh, parts, and you do such a great job of guiding people uh, in in encouragement, in challenge, in way of thinking uh, w- with your writing. And you know, I know you well, and you've got a lot of other things also going on that you know people don't see in just the short bits that they can read. What um, I'm interested in your take on the world as we see it right now. It does feel like we're in a particularly suspicious time for our future. And uh, I'm really interested in, in what, what you're seeing in the world and, and the work you're up to. Yeah, I, I think, Doug, there's a there's an urgency that if you're paying attention, you would feel right now. <clears throat> I don't think it's it's often as dire as we as we feel that it is, because I think there's a there's a story that we tell ourselves from the media and mm-hmm. from what we're taking in and from really the fear that we all have. Um, we often talk about fear on the other side and how that operates in that theology and in that political arena. But we, I think we who are trying to work for compassion and justice and love, we tend to operate in those fear mindsets too. Wow. So a lot of the, the, the story right now for me is trying to help people understand that that there is a majority of really decent people doing uh, you know redemptive work in their communities and that's the real story that's what we have to keep doing yeah you, you know i so I have, i've had this this little thought um the last couple of days partly because i'm listening to this really bizarre podcast uh well it's great it's just a strange topic it's called ghost church i don't know if you're familiar with this podcast or not but it's a podcast about the spiritualism movement in in the united states and it's made by a comedian, and she, it's her own experience with it. And she does this great job. But it's had me thinking about how, in the American history, in American history, we've had religious movements that were born in certain periods of time. So, the reason I'm thinking of this mm-hmm. isn't like the 1850s and 1860s, spiritualism is born for a whole lot of reasons that are really rooted in science and the Civil War. You know, two million people out of a small population dying. And then you get sort of the Great Awakening period around the turn of the of the 20th century and a kind of whole new religious movements, progressivism, spiritualism, a lot of the things, you know, that we think about as the new religious movements in America start then. You kind of get a movement in the 30s and 40s. I feel like we're in a period of time where not only do we see this great social impact and social constructs happening, it's actually producing a different religious, it's producing different religious streams and mm. 
those streams are, I think, are going to be quite consequential. Um, now, some of them will do like streams do. They'll just run into the ground and sort of sort of be gone over time. But I think other ones uh, really are going to last. So I feel like there's like this joint project of not only civic and cultural movement, but it's also, I don't know, it feels like there's some new religious movements afoot. And one of those, I think, is an authoritarian religious movement built around violence that you saw at the insurrection on January 6th, 2021. Like that right. was a coming out party for a whole way. Uh, because often these religious movements, when they happen in a society, they happen in bundles. There's a few of them at the same, at the same time. So I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of I'm very... You're one of the few people I feel, you know, like comfortable chatting with that about. Like, uh, do, do you think so? Do you think there's something more going on, or do you think, um, do you think it's, I, I don't know, it's it's more, it's a, some kind of a different kind of a struggle. Well, I think that strain that you're talking about that we saw manifested in on January 6th has given people a clear um, measuring point by which to say, okay, I'm a per, I'm a spiritual person, but there's no way I'm going to be involved in that, and so there's almost an antithetical position of spirituality that's developing and it's it's interesting because it's people of faith and yet people who are not raised in religious worldview i think they're you know i call them the community of the convinced they understand they don't want that ugly exclusionary expression of religion and they want something that is um is going to be beneficial to more people and yeah. so that's what i find you know doing the work i do right. i have this really odd congregation that comes together around the writing and mm -hmm. there are people of faith and there are people who are maybe uh, adverse to religion yeah totally well yeah and and that's see that's what intrigues me is that i th i feel like there's a all religious movements when they start have people that weren't part of other ones that are joining like that's one of the that's one of the telltale signs, right? It's not because you're not just turning up the old crowd that some new energy is happening. And I, I don't know. I think you just right. put the Internet, certain voices, uh, social periods of severe social distrust and crisis. And that's the situation where boy, something seems like something's afoot and and i think would be good because our religious systems do not serve our humanity very well like i think we really do need fresh new religious yeah. movements yeah it's been fascinating to begin this work about seven or eight years ago in this very public way and and then have the writing become a hub for people and the, the growth of that audience it was never a validation of my writing it was more a confirmation mm. that there are so many people asking the same questions and feeling the same prompts and so i always encourage people to look at that that something like that is for my audience and i say this is what the story is actually it's not the you know the story you're getting on fox news or partisan media it's really this greater movement uh toward humanity and i think that's that is really great news yeah so i feel like some of what's up in the world is that there's a, a movement uh built around human flourishing right like what what does it mean for humanity to flourish and one of the concepts of this is deep empathy um that comes out in a lot of ways deep listening deep understanding deep you no know, like there's kind of a deepening movement of spirituality and consciousness and, and life mm -hmm in our society. And that's something you're up to. Can you talk a bit about this work you're doing, you know, with um, trying to create a greater sense of, of empathy and, and an empathic uh, pathway forward? Yeah, for me, and, you know, growing up in the Christian tradition, I mean, that's the heart of what Jesus was doing. He was, he was moving out of a place of deep compassion. And for, he was always 
burdened by the pain of others and he confronted injustice never to damage people who were doing the oppressing but he was trying to protect people who were being oppressed and i, I really wanted to move into that press into that idea uh, you know we started a, an online network called empathetic people and it's really uh, again religious non-religious people who are saying you know the the caring for another human being that the importance of the, another person's life has to be central to what we're doing here or we're, we're simply you know um, going through life in a selfish pattern and so it's about those who are others centered how do we do that without um, expiring early how do we not become martyrs of our own hearts because mm -hmm. you know doing this work it's draining to be a person of empathy right now it's almost hard to keep up with the amount of grief that you have to sustain the amount of suffering that you have to bear and so we're trying to yeah. have community be the place where we restore ourselves for that so talk a bit about about empathy for people that know the word right because who doesn't know the word you know <laughs> empathy uh, yeah but as you spend time with that concept and deepen into it it um, it's it's deep and it's tricky, right? Because we have there's a lot of competing. I know sort of there's a lot of artificial sweeteners that taste like empathy, but really aren't. You know, uh, so yeah. Can, can you talk a bit about uh, what empathy? What drives that for human beings? What how it functions in yeah. someone's someone's life and, and what this network is about? Well, for me, Doug, I started seeing myself, you know, not as a pastor or an author or a traveling speaker, but as a collector of stories. I call myself a war correspondent because I get into these new areas where people come to me through, you know, virtually. And I say, what's happening here on the ground? So I can tell the folks back home and I kind of report that. And I think if you're a collector of stories and if you're curious, if you have this posture of curiosity about other people, mm -hmm. you're going to realize there's more to learn about them than you know right now, even if you think you know them pretty well. And I think that posture of curiosity and the, and the learning, the getting of the better story is going to make you, you might not like these people more, but you're going to understand them yeah. as fully complex human beings. And that's the thing. I mean, it's about how to dimensionalize a person so they're not a caricature or a stereotype. So talk about that because you, you also engage obviously in the great social impacts of our day. You pay a lot of attention to the civic and political spaces that we find ourselves in. And for a lot of us, it, we want to be empathic people. We want to be curious about what drives someone else. We want the best interest of another to be our agenda in the world. And sometimes that feels really hard to do when the stakes can feel so high and when the threat to people's well-being is, is so challenged. How do, you, how do you help people think about you know, being deeply empathic and curious and others focused when they s often feel that those people's views and ways of living uh, threaten something really valuable to them. Yeah, I mean, that's a tension that empathetic people are always going to be living in between, I think, their relationships and their convictions. And that, mm. That's the heart of it right now for me is that we all have people in our lives who we know, we love deeply, and yet what, they're, what they believe, believe or what they profess or what they're doing is it runs counter to what we believe our working morality is. And I, I think there's a challenge. That's why you, Jesus tells me I'm, I'm supposed to love the least, the vulnerable, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, and I'm supposed to love my enemies. And I'm always going to be sitting in the tension of that love. How do I love someone who is willfully damaging another person? 
and while protecting that person. So there's this activism versus um, this compassionate relational theology that is always going to be tricky. Um, and we get it wrong every day. Sometimes we're in that battle posture too long and we need to open our hands uh. and become um, gentler. And sometimes we need to get back into the battle posture because people are worth fighting for. I think ultimately that's what we're talking about. You know, we're not, sometimes we're fighting with them and sometimes we're fighting for them. Wow. That's really thoughtful. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this word intentional um, because I, partly I wrote a script and made a video the other day about an experience that I had in a bar with Proud Boys back in 2020. And I sort of show pieces of the video and describe it and talk about it. And a few different times in the script, I had written about the need to be intentional and like intentionally going into these spaces. And I started to think about that word because my mind just sort of does that. And I thought about the word intentional is intention. Like you're going to put yourself into a, into a place where there's, yeah. where there's tension, right? I, I don't know. I, I, it felt sort of revealing to me to think, oh, to be intentional means to deliberately go into tension, and to find yourself in those spaces of tension. But for a lot of people, they feel so much pressure, as you know. You know, you have been a pastor and a, and a, a listening ear and an advocate for people who are really hurt and harmed um, that feel like, look, I can't handle any more tension. If, if this pressures on my life tighten anymore, you know, these cables are yeah. gonna, my life are, are gonna snap apart. Um, Living in that love yourself, love your God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, like living in the tension that love puts you in, um, that, that's, that's, not easy, that's not easy work. And some people feel like, man, I just can't get into any more tension you know, th than I have. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think community is medicinal. And I think we, we mm. have to make sure that we're surrounded by enough people that can sometimes say, I'm, I'm not equipped for this right now. I need you to go and do the work that I can't. Yeah. And particularly right now, I mean, that means people of privilege like myself. That's why I'm try I try to be so vocal because I realize that to be a historically vulnerable or oppressed or marginalized community member, you've been dealing with this for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And there's, there's a accumulated fatigue that has to develop. And so people like myself who have experienced relatively less um, the, I, I think it's uh, incumbent upon mm -hmm. someone like myself, and that's why I appeal to my audience to say, this may feel like difficult days, but if you've been living in the skin yeah. of a person of color or you've been an LGBTQ member for years, this is your default setting. And so it's, it's about more of us carrying the load for those who've been carrying it for so long. Hmm. Hey, so share a bit of your of your background. I think some people, you know, maybe picked up with your work in the last seven or eight years, and you alluded to it a bit that you had your own sort of move from one work life into another. Um, so I'm interested, yeah. maybe for people that don't know the John Pavlovitz story, you, you telling a bit of that, and then I also want to ask you what the John Pavlovitz twenty years ago, so in 2002, would think about the John Pavlovitz of 2022, what you would want to say to that 2020, uh, you know, 2002 version and what the 2002 version of you might want to say to now. So anyway, but can you give us a little bit of your, okay. your, your history and background and all this? Sure, man. Yeah, I'm ta I talk to myself all the time, so this will be yeah. great. Um, <laughs> you know, I was raised, I was, I was raised Roman Catholic and, and really had a strong sense of God for most of my early life, but it was one that was, you know, this loving and yet God I'm, I'm afraid of. 
and uh, kind of drifted from that in college up, up until the point where I just kind of left organized religion altogether and was drawn back into the church when my then fiance and I were about to get married and we found this little country Methodist church where were the female pastor and we we just felt like a lot of the things that we were missing in organized religion up until that point were, were present and just a small group of people just trying to live out this stuff and ended up volunteering for that church and then working as a part-time youth leader and then got offered a full-time position and left my career as an art director to enter ministry full-time about 25 years ago and worked my way up into the mega churches and then realized when I got there, um, I'm not sure I believe all this stuff and what do I do now? And so the, the short story is I, you know, preached myself, um, out of a job and, um, have found myself in this kind of much wider space with much more freedom to speak explicitly in matters of race and sexuality and justice. Hmm. So that's where I am. And so, uh, gosh, the person I was 20 years ago, Doug, I would be, Thinking, why are you talking to that guy? He's one of those weird progressives, you know. I mean, if I maybe I wouldn't think that, but I would have been told that by my pastor mm. and some of our church staff because I can remember wanting to go to Wild Goose. I was like looking at the, the Wild Goose Festival. Many of you don't know; it's in kind of art, music, uh, spirituality. Uh, it's it's kind of like Woodstock with, um, <laughs> you know, with church and. Yeah. Um, and so I was uh, looking at this thing going, wow, this actually looks like something I'd be curious about. And I remember my pastor walked in and goes, you don't want to go there. And so oh. I didn't go there. But then four or five years later, I'm speaking and there. And so yeah. th that's how my life, I would have said, hey, hang on tight because you're going to get to that wider space. Yeah. Do you, and like a lot of us have been, you know, have gone through uh, similar paths, right? Where the people that we were warned about are become the people that you're then journeying with. Uh, yeah. I, I remember being in seminary and the Jesus seminar was a big deal. This would have been in the late 1980s. Right. Or, and, uh, you know, I hear these names, John Shelby Spong and Marcus Borg and Dominus, Dominic Cross and, and these people and that what they're doing with the Bible. And, you know, my Bible professors in seminary are like, okay, he, here's the extreme you need to stay away from, you know, and then, and maybe it's just because I'm a bit of a contrarian or sort of curious and interested, but that warning to me felt like, oh, I don't know, that seems kind of it. Because frankly, the Christianity I was in was not nearly as, that I was being trained in was not nearly as interesting as the Christianity I'd sort of dreamed of or read about <laughs> or or frankly, yeah. even that these people were talking about. Uh, and um, But I had no language and no capacity to engage with progressive Christians at that stage in my life. Like I, they, I yeah. felt like they had a whole other language, which was equally as exclusive, as exclusivistic. Like I, I didn't know what they meant and what they were saying. And so it took me a while to sort of think, well, you, these people are interesting, but I guess it was like, you know, thinking about artists and going to a gallery and like walking around, like, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. I don't even know what the art form is that they're doing. It took a long time to, to make that, to make that jump, uh, into, you know, a kind of, to be fluent enough to kind of understand and feel comfortable in the, in the progressive spaces. Did you feel that at all as you made your own shift that it's not as easy to just sort of pivot from one world of subculture of, you know, spirituality yeah. into another? Yeah, 
gosh, there's so much there because I, I think about it was sort of a lonely business being someone who was being felt like a pull toward a more progressive place. And yet realizing the power of community is so strong that it was almost I, I remember being afraid to even express a desire to go to something like Wild Goose Festival. And it was trying to figure out, like, what can I actually say? What is this incremental move that I can make? And you know, it helps me now, Doug, because I know what pastors and churches and people in the pews, what they think about people like you and me. I mean, I know what they warned us about, and I know the fear that drives all that. You know, I can remember being at a youth worker convention, and you probably were there at one of these big YS youth conventions, and I think it was Nashville, and thousands of people, and Tony Campolo was speaking on sexuality, and his message was, don't lose the person as you fight for the principle. And he was making a very small movement into inclusion. Mm. He wasn't even going there. He was just, you know, a really small statement. And I can remember this big arena, three or four youth pastors started filing out as he talked and then more and more. And then there were hundreds of youth pastors walking out of this really benign message about, you know, a base level love for human beings. And I remember thinking, okay, it's something's I'm in the wrong place here. If this is what where we're going. And that was actually, that pushed me, nudged me into a more explicit um, expression of my spirituality. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I've recently started playing, playing guitar and uh, as an adult, Yes. And it's been quite a journey. I'm terrible, and I love it. Uh, no, I don't love being terrible. I love playing guitar, and I'm really <laughs> bad, and I don't have the skills. And I didn't know any of the things about it. I, I didn't. Ooh. I didn't know how many strings were on a guitar. Like if you had asked me how many strings are on a guitar, maybe I would have guessed six. <laughs> I, I might have said twelve because some reason I knew about a twelve string. I just did, that's the level of knowledge that I had. Don't really have any. So I there's been this like everyday kind of practice that has then allowed now all of a sudden, you know, I can do some things that three months ago I couldn't do. And, and I think about how, when I was early in Christianity as a teenager, and I also wasn't raised in religion at all. So I got into it and there was this daily practice idea in that world. Uh, there was a bit prescribed, you know, read your Bible every day, pray. There was little formulas, you know, stuff you do. Um, that I've looked up back on so many times and kind of you know, sort of smirked at and snickered at until I started playing guitar and I'm like, oh my gosh, it seems an awful lot like learning to play an instrument. Um, I, you kind of have to do that, right? Like I got a little book and I go through it every day and I have these videos and I have these little practices. It's like having a quiet time or something. Yeah. Um, that daily practice and routine starts to shape and form in a different way. Like it wasn't enough for me to just say in my mind, I'm now going to I'm going to play guitar. <laughs> well, no, you're not. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder that, and maybe that's why you formed, you know, the online community, you know, Empathic People Network and so on. It seems like just as human beings to develop new capacities and ways of being, it, that some of those like daily practices and engagements are super important. And it feels like in the progressive Christian spaces that I'm in now, there's kind of less of that being encouraged. Um, you know, my wife's a yoga instructor yeah. and does a lot of meditation and that kind of work. And so she does that stuff all the time. Lots of daily practices. 
Uh, do, do you yes. have any Do you have any thoughts about about all that? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of I was talking about guitar to some uh, a group of students a, a couple weeks ago, and I was showing them the calluses on my fingertips and saying, "There's a pain involved in this in this learning of something new, and there's a discipline, and it, it's acquired over time. Yeah. It's not though you decide I'm going to be loving or empathetic or wise, and you simply are, and because you're having to unlearn a lot of things that you that you knew, and you're having to acquire a new knowledge base, and I think that daily practice is important the, the community and things like that i mean that's what good spiritual community should be doing at any right. level it's 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 taking you from where you are to a, a place of discomfort or to a place of of newness mm. and you should never be quite settled where you are because if you are then you're just gonna you know i've played guitar for 40 years but i'm still as good as i was 26 years ago i have not progressed i cannot get further but having said that i get you know i still try to figure out how to get these uh big hands to do those that intricate work but uh so yeah i think that's a pro and a lot of us want a religion that is easy and that is comfortable and that we don't have to do a lot of work with um and one of the things we haven't really talked about doug is i think there's a there's a confronting of privilege and injustice that you are a part of, especially mm -hmm. for me as a white guy. And you, it's, it, there's a grieving that comes with that. And so that learning to be empathetic means realizing the places where I've been part of something that's damaging to other people. Yeah. And not a lot of people want to do that. And they don't want to take the time to have an existential crisis. But that's important that we do that, I think. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot with some friends about the role of confession in a world, in the world that we live in. And one of the things that any traditions that offer confession as a, as a way, it's, it's your way of acknowledging your own complicity and participation in something. Like it's really easy to separate yourself from something and say it wasn't you. We tend in our society to want to feel like we're, if something's a good thing, we feel like it's us. Like a lot of people really want to yeah. cheer on the 4th of July, which is coming in a few weeks. We will have a very collective, we the people feeling of the 4th of July. Somehow we all fought for our freedom or maintain our freedom. When you talk yeah. about the systemic slavery of that same period and continued for a hundred years, then people are like, well, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Yeah, you, you know, right. we separate ourselves and say, "Why would you blame me for that?" But on the Fourth of July, we're out at parades, you know, saying "we." And so, this is a habit yeah. that we have in our society. And confession is one of those. Uh, and I'm, I don't think every religion does confession well, uh, but it's one of those places where you acknowledge our DNA is on this crime scene, just like everyone else's. And that feels like an important yeah. part of the empathic sort of move is to not otherize, it's easy to otherize someone and say you're the other. It's also easy to pull yep. ourselves out of the story and act as if we were not complicit in, in these situations. And that's that's been a thing, you know, yeah. that as a 55 year old white guy, I was not taught that stuff very well. I've had to learn that in very painful conversations with people that um, remind me how much the I've participated in a system and benefited from a system that has not treated people uh, equally and well. Yeah, that's right. When when the story is good, you want to be a participant, and when it's bad, you want to be a narrator, right? And go look. That's what look what those terrible people have done throughout history, and here I am to be different. 
And so that's really about getting up every day and realizing, you know, I'm, I'm speaking on Juneteenth. And, and the, the, the irony of that is, you know, it's not, it's not lost on me that I'm, I'm speaking at this faith community, but I'm, I'm trying to speak on the idea that that was the, this moment of celebrating that all people are now free and yet hundred and what, you know, however, 185 or whatever, how many years it is since then, are all people free here? They are not. And yeah. so that means that we're this story, we're still a part of this evolving story of inequity. And so we have to be awake and alive to participate in it and try to alter it. Uh, if, if people participate, want, want to participate in the Empathic People Network, um, talk a little bit about what they'll experience and what that what that looks like and, and, and how, how they get engaged. Sure. Yeah, you can go to empatheticpeople.com to just get there and, and try it out. And it's really, I mean, we've got um, great conversations happening. We have live gatherings that happen all throughout the week. Um, we've got special events with guest speakers and um, there are written pieces. There's creative arts that people from the network actually submit their channels to talk about grief and politics and sexuality. And so it's really just a place where you can have an expression of community virtually that is not bound by, you know, ads or trolls or bots. And it's really just a place where you can, you don't have to worry about if you're posting and your aunt is going to read it or someone from your church. So there's a safety there in really exploring difficult ideas. And last night we were meeting with um, Rabbi Brian Mayer and we were talking about how do you what does it mean to turn the other cheek when there's this injustice happening? Mm. And how do we wrestle with Jesus' call to to love our enemies? And how do we stay empathetic without enabling violence? And so yeah. it's just a great place to gather. What I find is that I, I work in both spaces. So I'm still out on the normal social media channels, but there's a different temperature to when I get to the uh, EP network, I can just kind of exhale a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I think people need that. People need that space where they're not always going to have to fight for everything that they're saying and compete with all that nonsense. So that's what we, what we do. uh, How often, uh, like in the network, how often do people, are there live things like the conversation with, with the rabbi last night? How, how frequently does that, does that happen? What, what's the schedule and all? Yeah, we've been up for about six weeks, so we're still feeling through what's best for the community. But right now we meet sort of live with a guest every other Wednesday night. And then I'm on um, every day just doing like a pop-ins and we'll do some Q&As. And then we've got – we're developing now a gathering that mm. is going to be a church but not church weekly gathering where, okay. you know, we come together for sharing of knowledge and stories. And um, yeah. But it, right now it's a matter of kind of feeling what's the best for the community. Do, do people still want to meet on a Sunday morning when they have the option to meet on a Thursday night? Probably not. So we're, we're you know, we're working <laughs> through that. Um, and then, you know, so it's it's a great, and what it, what I love about it is it's not about, hey, here's John Pavlovich's thing and he's going to, going to do all this. It's, you know, I won't log in for a couple hours and I'll just look and see the conversations that are happening and people sharing their stories. And it's, that's what we want. I wanted to have a place where the people who gather around the blog Mm. can have a deeper expression of community and it's not dependent on me. It's just hosted by me. Mm. Well, it's really great. So on the, what we have on the screen here for those who are watching this on the live stream, the welcome to the empathic people network, a safe place for kind humans. Your turn of a phrase is so fabulous. And then it says, choose a plan. Talk, talk about that. What does that mean? Choose a plan. There's different ways people can be involved for different levels of involvement or, 
or cost or what, what, what is the choose a plan part? Yeah, the way that it works is people can join for free for 30 days and try it out and see how it feels. And then we, we ask people to um, give four ninety nine a month for all mm-hmm. the upkeep and administration and all the guest mm-hmm. speakers. But if they can't, then they can, they can ask us for a scholarship and we can put them in for free. Or if they're able to give more in a certain you know month, yeah. they can. So it's really, we don't want anyone to not be able to do it because of finances. But we also know there's, a, as you know, there's a practical cost to doing the things that we're doing and to creating this space. It's not uh, just the click of a button. So um, yeah. that's how it works. But everyone gets in for 30 days for free. And then if they want want to keep going for free they can or they can contribute and then we can do more with the network well really great i'm so i'm so glad you're 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 up to that okay your, your book came out this year yes. so you're still in uh you know if god is love don't be a jerk book uh how, how's that going and what what, yeah. what have you learned about the power of those stories and that book now that it's landed in people's lives and they've reflected it back to you yeah actually you know the book came out in um in november uh it was well, actually September, but it came out right before um, I had I had brain surgery um, in in October on October first, and the book came out three days before that. So really, that big time of just letting a book, you know, helping a book get into the world. I was in the hospital and in the ICU, um, but for me, it was just so. Uh, heartening to see people embrace it. And I asked my readers and followers, I said, you know, if you could help propel this book into the world, it would, it would mean a lot to me. And they did. And it's just been really gratifying to see over the past Hmm. seven or eight months, the life that that book has taken on. And it's, you know, it's, it's exceeded what I thought it would be. And so I think people are leaning into what I love about it is people are saying, I've shared this book with someone who hates you and they don't hate you as much after they <laughs> read it. <laughs> you know, if they've gotten, if they've gotten past the cover. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think it's really, it was a stretching for me. You know, it was a really, um, a diff- I started writing the book in January of 2020. And so everything mm-hmm. kind of turned upside down here. And I realized a couple months in, Hey, I can't write the book that I was going to write. And was going to give it up and went to my publisher. And I said, I really can't write the book that I told you I would write, uh, you know, six months ago. And they basically said, what book could you write? And so I leaned into all that was happening in America, into the pandemic, into the, you know, the um, Black Lives Matter movement and in the election and all that that exposed about our hateful theology and politics. And it's just been, um, I'm grateful for having written the book and having people receive it. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up, I was born in 1966, and I remember growwing up and hearing about the 1960, especially 1964 to 1968, like that period of time. You just mm-hmm. think about the things that happened from moon launches yeah. to assassinations of presidents and social movements and King and multiple assassinations, actually, and civil rights movements right. and social unrest. And there were times as a teenager and even as a young adult in the in the early 90s i thought i wonder what it was like to live in a period where so much incredible social consequence was landing on people mm. in such a short period of time and it kind of longed for it kind of felt like it missed out a little bit i don't know like i wonder wonder what that was like and then 2016 to 2021 and in some ways just 2020 
you know, a global yeah. pandemic and the murder of George Floyd and all that that unleashed around the world and what that showed us yeah. and a president that was trying to harm trying to harm the country and like just so much was has been happening um it just reminds me we're living in the time that you know our, our children and those who come after our children are going to look back on and think uh, how did people get along back there? And, and and look at what they only had to live with, you know, what they only had to deal with. I don't know what the technology shifts are going to be 50 years from now where people look back on this period. Right. But it really does seem like we're, we're in that moment. And, and yet no one's heroic, right? Like you just realize, no, we're just all the same people that, you know, we're, I don't know, doing whatever we were doing in the 90s uh, or the 80s. Um, like, the, like there is, I guess what I'm saying is, the reality of living in that world is not what I thought it would feel like looking, mm. sort of lo looking, looking upon it, you know? Uh, do, do, you, do you think? Yeah, they will, they will look, people will look back and they will somehow dramatize or romanticize who we are right now. Yeah. And really the reality is I was searching online desperately for toilet paper for, you know, weeks yes. on end trying to find toilet paper. That was, and I found a box through like a commercial supplier of like a hundred rolls of toilet paper. And I remember like, just that was like my proudest moment because I put online anyone in our neighborhood need toilet paper. And I went delivering, I was like the toilet paper fairy. And, uh, is that going to make uh, a movie? No, but I, it was like what I could do. And, yeah. uh, I think we're just, and that's the thing, you, you know, we don't talk about a lot is mm -hmm. that I think many of us, we thought when the, when the election was over in 2020, you know, that we could exhale and there would be sort of a, yeah. a period of normalcy and rest and then January 6th happens. And then everything since then, it's it's like people who are working for justice and love and compassion, they haven't got a chance to even stop and grieve everything that happened before totally. or to really just rest. And so I think we've been in this relentless urgency that is taking its toll. And so that's why people are checking out. It's why people are saying, I can't fight anymore. Yeah. And that's why we need to be there to say, no, let's restore ourselves for the fight because uh, you stopping now is not the goal. Um, no one in the past has stopped. That's why we're here. So mm. I spend a lot of time thinking about politics and the role of faith voters in politics. You commentate on issues around politics and embed yourself in politics. Um, how are you feeling about politics these days? I mean, I've got a mixed emotion myself. Uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of you know go through the the ebbs and flows of it. I, what's what's John thinking about? the political realities that we find ourselves in? Gosh, I don't think, Doug, that I, I tend to not separate those worlds. I've always thought that the political was just this very public expression of my personal morality and, and my convictions. And we work that out in community and that looks like politics. So I, I tend to feel as encouraged about it as I feel about anything, that there, mm. is, there is a power when we are able to gather in this community and express something for the common good. And there's a power in expressing something that pushes against it. It's, you know, that arc yeah. of the moral universe and we are trying to bend it together. And politics is one of the ways that we do that. And so it's not an evil, it's a tool. And so mm -hmm. good people need to use it and wisely. And then it becomes just another way to kind of perpetuate humanity. Yeah. I, I was looking at your Twitter feed today and your banner. I, th I think it was on, I think it was on Twitter. Uh, I was deep in the John Pavlovitz world in the last couple of days. Um, 
I think that's where it was. It said, um, it's the guns or something like that. It's the guns, damn it, or something yeah, like it's that. The right? guns, it's yeah. the damn guns. It's the damn guns. Which which I very much feel feel that way. Like I just cannot seem to let go of this idea. Like we keep our political system won't actually solve a problem that is harming so many people. Um, and it's guns and gun culture and just a whole a whole whole to do. Um, and then you see that maybe this week you're going to hear something from the Senate that they're going to make a move on a very important, but not the point. Uh, you know, it's 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 like, yeah. it, and it feels to me. Well, I won't say what it feels to me. Like. It just it's it's something that it's going to be important. They're going to do something about red flag laws and try to encourage states. They're going to do something about some background checks, and they're going to you know do something about yeah something but it's not the thing that really is gonna gonna solve the problem but that's what we can get in our politics like that's as far as it can go you know um yeah and there's that reality just keep running into right like it can that part of our collective system the elected officials enacting laws can only go so far and then we're stuck with 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 wherever wherever we are and um I don't know. It's it, uh, there. There's times where it feels great. You know, you think, boy, when when uh, same-sex marriage was legalized, it was like, look at the power of what you can do with really good law. Roe versus Wade's going right. to be overturned. We're going to say, look at the destructive power. I'm going to say, look at the destructive power. People on the other side are going to say, yeah. well, finally, we've done that. You know, a law can have great power. But boy, those are really rare. You know, <laughs> uh, those moments where mm-hmm. it has that kind of consequence. The rest of it just seems like, are you kidding me? That's the that's the best we got. Um, and so, a lot of people that are yeah, in the political I, spaces, you know, can feel a little defeating sometimes. Well, you know, I was I was speaking in Florida last week, and there was a panel of um, students and adults, and these were activists who were in Florida fighting for LGBTQ equality in, in their schools. And one of the young People, she said, she pointed to all these people in a church and she said, this is not a political thing. She's like, you did this. She said, your religion fed into this political system and you've enabled all the things that happened. So you need to begin there. Now, of course, everyone in the church was like, whoa. But I think the truth is, is that, yeah, politics is this one aspect of our lives. But then we've had these other areas where we can do tremendous amount of work to make sure that we have a more just society. And yeah. so we can't be dependent on politics. We simply have to wield politics as we can. Yeah, it's funny because when I we spend a lot of time talking to politicians and training them and working with them, and they'll often say precisely that. Yeah. They're like, look, there's only so much we can do. We really need a people movement to drive this thing forward. And the people movements are like, hey, there's only so much we can do. We really need you to pass legislation. Yeah. On the, and that's just true, right? It's sort of, you know, those of us that have two two legs and feet that work, we we have to do this right foot, left foot thing. Uh, people that don't have two and have a prosthesis or something else, they find another way, right? You know, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. some other aid to, to do it. But we we have to have that sort of, move to to get any movement you have to have both of these both of these sides and they're both insufficient and maybe even together they're insufficient sometimes for what for what we really want like i don't know we're gonna in the religious world i used to be in uh one of the transitional kind of spaces i was in between the kind of evangelicalism that i was surrounded by that didn't care about things that i wanted now wanted to care about uh to getting to here where now i care about some more things that i think you should care about was this 
theology of it's hard to remember what this is. The already and not yet. Do you, do you remember this this theory? This right. this the kingdom of God has this uh, already the thing that already exists and the thing that's not yet, and yep. that, that you live in that in right. that reality. That was super helpful to like kind of break the you know the the binaries of this or that. Like, well, it's the I heard Raphael Warnock, uh, the mm-hmm. pastor from Ebenezer Baptist Church, and also the senator from Georgia, say. You know, there were two days, the day on January 5th when he and John Ossoff were elected, which he thought really said something beautiful about the state of Georgia and America, that a a black man and a person of Jewish heritage would be elected in Georgia as senators. That was January 5th, 2021, that election. And then there's January Mm -hmm. 6th when the insurrection took place. And he said, both of those are America. And we have to decide, do we want to be January 5th people or January 6th people? And, you know, so... That there it is, right? That sort of already and and not yet notion. Um, That's right. That, that seems helpful. I, I've yeah. sort of left that behind for some reason. I don't know why. I don't, it just feels like vent, vestiges of an old religious narrative in my head. Um, but there seems like there's something there. Yeah, I think it's easy to you know, and I often look at November, for example, and say that's a pretty uh, you know t- hard dividing line between what might be possible and what might not be possible afterwards. But in general, in general terms. I think we're always becoming a, a certain type of nation. So you're right. Um, the 5th of January and the 6th mm. felt very different. And so what's the narrative in our heads about who we are? Or when marriage equality was passed, people say, oh my gosh, it was only a couple of years ago. Look how terrible things have gotten in such a short time. Maybe that's true, but mm. then maybe as quickly it can turn around depending on how involved we want to get in our churches and our politics. And if we actually want to work, uh, the majority can do amazing things. Um, it just, I think if we're up to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a question whether we're up to it, right? And, and, who, and who's the we? Yeah. Uh, who's, who's the we and we the people in this country is a really interesting question. Who's the, who's the we that are up for it? Yeah. Um, hey, a couple, uh, couple of comments from people in the broadcast. One, I just want to say, um, Mike is now over on the YouTube channel and says, hey, how does this new format work? Uh, no, Mike, the comments that you've made on the Facebook channel don't come over, but I do see them, so I can pop them up on the screen, but they don't show up. So your best bet is to just start in YouTube and finish in YouTube and be there, um, be, be there all the way. Um, uh, th- there's just a few, and pe- people just saying, you know, nice things like, thanks for the great conversation. And, um, uh, and I just wanted you to see if you want to say something more about, about Ray's comment here. And he says, Transforma- transformation takes hard work. Transaction is easy. Uh, I think he's really getting at something. You, you know, a lot of people have been taught a very transactional religion. Um, kind of if then rules about God, if you do this, then, you know, it's like when I was learning to code in the 1980s in high school, you know, I'd write if then statements. A lot of people have just structured their life around code like language. It's very transactional. This happens and then this happens, which produces this outcome. Ray is suggesting that transformation is something else. Um, then that's not just transaction or or even change. Frankly, I mean, transition. Uh, you know, uh, transformation is something different than just switch or change. Do you, do you have thoughts about the power of of transformation as it compares to other things? I think it that speaks to the small incremental 
decisions you make every day that that's how transformation happens you know my progression my journey to a more progressive faith didn't happen in a conversation it happened over decades wow. and i think that's the problem is that most of us don't we want the you know immediate result and we want you know people i used to be a personal trainer and people say uh i'd say what are your goals they say i want to lose 40 pounds and i'd say well we're not going to do that you're going to start working healthy today and you're going to do that every day for a long time and then we'll see what your body yields and i think a lot of us mm. don't want to do that work yeah. um and that's why the people who aren't watching this should be the ones watching this so if you are watching share it with other people mm. so that they can get some new information into their heads because that's a lot of the story here i think yeah you know i was thinking about when you told your story of you know when you you're engaged and you start looking for a church and how you got back into spirituality you find this little country church and you you just mentioned there was a female pastor, a woman pastor at that little Methodist church. And yeah, it just reminds me of all the, it reinforces the idea of all the times where there's a, an exceptional person, not, not that they're different from everyone else, but they're your exception. They're the one that to you says there's yes. another way, right? They're, they're this other path. So often when people tell their stories of transformation, there's somebody in that picture, right? We don't always even say it, but in your mind, you know, our minds, we start listing it out, this great cloud of witnesses that sort of surrounded us as we made our way down this, down this path. That, that seems really important um, that, that we find these journey guides. You know, we find these, these, these co-travelers that, that walk this path with us. And, and, yeah, and right. Well, and the thing about it was like, I called all, you know, I did something very spiritual. I went in the yellow pages to look for churches and to get married in. And many of them, you know, you had to be a member or you had to be there a certain amount of time. And this pastor said, well, why don't you come down and see what we're about? And then if you have a good experience, we can talk more. And I still have the post-it note with her name and the time and the date on there. And that was a pivot point moment for my life. And I didn't know it at the time and she didn't know it. She wasn't saying, oh, well, I'm bringing him into this place of, you know, revelation or transformation and that's the thing we ha we get to show up in people's lives and be in that space and time and we don't know what's going to happen after that so we do our best to you know be a positive pivot right. point right and and any person of any influence doesn't get to control how that works that's not that's not how it goes right uh and there's all this talk about yeah. being influencers or whatever uh an influencer is not a self-chosen role you, you don't you don't decide to be other people decide you know, by happenstance, if you're an influencer, that's interesting to hear you describe. Though that you looked in the in the yellow pages, found that church, and then that went change. When I tell my own story of this, I didn't grow up in religion. I went to this Christian college where I only knew about it because they recruited me to play basketball there, and so I went there to play basketball, and then found out there was a Christian that it was a Christian college, and just didn't know the whole Christian subculture or church or anything. Um, I only had my own sort of spiritual experience of Christianity. So they said, hey, if you become a member of this church, or if, you, if you're a member of a church in this denomination, you get some amount of money, $800 a year or something, you know, scholarship as a church member. I'm like, seriously? So I looked in the yellow pages and looked up Baptist General Conference Churches, which is this tradition, and then went to the first church that was nearby my house, which was called Wooddale Church, ended up becoming a member and then worked on the staff there for 12 years. And that led to all the other things that I've done in, in, in my life was that little thing. Wow. So we've never talked about this before, but it's kind of funny that both of us were like, I'm going to look in the yellow pages uh, and see if uh, I can find something. 
Yeah. Which people, I'm not even sure. People so, are now Googling yellow pages. Yeah, exactly. And I, so, uh, all right, just, you know, uh, sometimes these, these chats turn into little therapy sessions uh, for sometimes both of us. Good. I, I wonder yeah. if... Because the Google has, or the internet has sort of become the yellow page. Like, I don't even think they produce the books anymore, right? They're not still dropping those things off at houses, are they? I, I don't know. I, I, I haven't felt I like I haven't seen one in are. a long time. I, so, but they, you know, obviously they used to. And then I had to go find yellow pages because it was the technology that told you the things that now the internet tells you. And That's I right. just wonder if part of the reason you and I spend a lot of time talking on the internet and trying to create this. It's because somewhere deep down, we were like the version of that that existed in, you know, for me, it was 1988 or something. Uh, no, no, 1985. Yeah. Uh, and for you, what, you know, whatever year that was that, I don't know that we're, we're still trying to like, we're, we're trying to pay that forward, right? Like this is the current thing. And maybe someone's going to stumble across and, you know, uh, and had there not been an ad in the yellow pages, I don't know if yours had an ad, but ours, you know, these, that church paid for a little cheapo yeah. ad that caused me to see it. Uh, um, I don't know. It just in some ways you're like, we've come a long way, but, but maybe, maybe this is all just that same thing. Yeah. And uh, what I think about is how little of a gesture it took for that pastor to make me feel welcome enough to, to mm. continue and the way that altered the trajectory of my life wow. and other people's through a million different ways. You know, you talk about being an influencer. I mean, we all are influencers. We just, yeah. some of us have a public recognition yeah. of that influence, well but most of us, we're doing that every day. And she has, you know, she passed away and she has no idea that that, that small thing, mm. I mean, it, and it didn't take a big sacrifice. It wasn't about some big movement of the church or some program. It was about that small act. Totally. And that's what this is about, you know? Yeah. Oh, boy, that's that's so true. Like I showed up at that church and filled out that form and had Ken Travilla not called me and said, hey, uh, you know, why don't you stop by and, and come on? And had he not just been so nice, <laughs> frankly, yeah. I never would have ended up. Well, I don't know. Maybe I would have been on another path that would have been equally as, as fun. Um, but just those, just those things. So, yeah, it really, yeah. Well, John, thanks. Thanks for the chat. Uh, I really love you. Love your work. Um, so, so proud to, to be a friend and to participate with you in any of these things. And glad to have you here. Hey, a blast as always, my friend. Hope to see you in person soon. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're going to be a wild goose, are you, this year? Yes. Are you going to yes, the festival? I, I am as well. Yep. I will be there. All right. Well, we have a date. So I can be one of those people that I, I can be the people that someone warns me, warns oh, about, you, clearly, you know, yeah, <laughs> I can be the right. dangerous person to someone else. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Get them fired. That's right. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I, I, I hope someone's watching this video and someone else walks in the room and they shut it off really quick because they're like, uh, that's right. <laughs> and that's okay. You can sneak around. Uh, you know, if, if this is all you're sneaking around right. with on the internet, you're doing all right. I think you're doing okay. Right, yes, as, as, as secrets go, this is a good one. All right, brother, <laughs> good. thanks so okay, much. Okay, hey, well, we'll see you soon. Hey, thanks, everyone, and uh, right. we will All see right. you back here. If you're up for it, in just a couple of hours, we're going to be live from the uh, insurrection hearings, the January 6th Select Committee uh, hearings. And so uh, our YouTube channel will be back on live. We'll see you in a bit.